Good morning. Good Palm Sunday morning. Not for me yet, not while I'm speaking these words, but hopefully for you when you're hearing them. This is a difficult time for a, for a lot of people. More difficult for some than others, obviously, but challenging for all of us in various ways. So I hope that you are taking care of yourself and taking care of other people, that you're feeling well. And if you're not feeling well or feeling taken care of, I hope that today is encouraging for you and that you're encouraged to reach out for help and that others are encouraged to, to reach out to you. This is, as I said, a, an awkward time, a challenging time. And Palm Sunday, in many ways, is a liturgical moment to reflect on strangeness and awkwardness because it, it celebrates, in the liturgy of the palms, it celebrates a strange moment in Jesus' life as he enters the final week of his life, the week that ends in his death. And it's a story that's shot through with, with irony. Jesus rides into the city, as we'll read in just a moment from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus rides into the city on a donkey, which is a, a political statement, but it's an awkward political statement that's loaded with, with significance, but also it's subversive. It's a contradiction to the ways in which conquerors usually ride into city on a war horse. And the crowd's response is ambiguous. In some ways, it looks as if the crowd is simply rejoicing that Christ has come to them. In other ways, their, their energy is the energy of a mob, the energy of a mob moved in calling for revolution. And it, it's not quite clear. When they cry, Hosanna, it might mean that they're calling for him to save them now, or it might mean they are simply praising him, rejoicing in him. So it might be like a crowd gathered around a, a rock star figure celebrating him, or it might be a mob gathered around a revolutionary calling for him to act. And the text is, I think, purposely ambiguous about this because I'm not sure even the people who are caught up in the moment know what it is. So Jesus comes right into the city, he gets this incredible response, and then in some versions of the story, he rides directly to the temple and cleanses it. In other versions, he rides to the temple, inspects it, leaves, spends the night with friends, and comes back to cleanse the temple. But in either case, it's, it's a strange story, and a story that anticipates what will come in, in, the, in the following days, which is his betrayal and his trial and torture and finally his death. So this is a good, a good time, given all the awkwardness we're all experiencing, all the difficulty we're all experiencing. It's a good time for us to reflect on this episode in Jesus' life, and this Palm Sunday is a good time to reflect on what this episode in our lives means. So all that said, let's, let's look at the Gospel, the Gospel for the Liturgy of the Palms, Matthew 21. When they had come near Jerusalem, and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them. I, I, I love this text for, for all kinds of reasons, but 
it's it's a bit strange that Jesus predicts that they will come to this village and immediately, so apparently the first house on the left, they will find a donkey and it's full and there to just take them. And if someone asks, they're to say, the Lord needs them. Now, if he knows that the donkey and the foal are at this house and which house they're at, how does he not know whether or not they're going to be asked? But if someone asks, be prepared. This is what you say. The Lord needs them. And immediately, the man, apparently the man who owns the donkeys, hopefully the man who owns the donkeys, says, sure, use them. And so Jesus sends them away. And this took place, Matthew says, to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, which is the prophet Zechariah and his oracle, one of his oracles, against the nations, an oracle of threat, an oracle that assures that God's judgment will come. And, and Matthew quotes just, just a bit of it. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them, which commentators have noticed and endlessly reflected on what it means that they take both the donkey and the foal and that Jesus sets on them. It could be a bit of a, a strange image, but almost certainly what it means is that Jesus rides the donkey and, and leads the foal. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? And so you can see some of that ambiguity I mentioned before. The, the crowd before and behind him, the throng, is, is shouting. And again, it's not quite clear what they're shouting or why, but it throws the city into turmoil. And they ask, who is this? And everything depends upon who this is. Not only in that moment for them, but in this moment now for us. Who is this who comes to us in this way? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. So for just, just a couple moments, I want to reflect on, on a few lines from, from this story. First, a line from the oracle in Zechariah that directs us to pay attention to the fact that our king is coming. Look, your king is coming, humble, riding on a donkey. And in the original oracle that Matthew is referencing, the prophet goes on to say that he's coming on a donkey and not in a chariot and not on a war horse and not with a, with a battle bow. He's coming bowed, but not with a bow, on a donkey and not a war horse. Because he's coming to assert his authority, to establish his reign, but it's a reign of peace. And this reign of peace will extend over the whole earth, Zechariah prophesies, that God will come and establish his kingdom as a kingdom of peace. And so when Jesus rides into the city on the donkey, it is quite obviously a, a, purposeful, a purposeful act, a political act. But it generates 
contradictory responses, both in his disciples and in the mob. And, as I said, sets the stage for the cleansing of the temple and the last events of his life. What does this mean for us? What does it mean for us now? I think it's still true that our king comes to us. Christ is coming into our lives all the time in countless ways. But he is always coming to us humble. He's always coming to us in humble ways that require us to look, that require us to pay attention, that require us to live with our eyes open so that we can see, to live with our ears open so that we can hear when Christ is present and when Christ is speaking. Look, your king comes to you, humble. And the epistle reading for the day is Philippians 2, which is a text about humility. And I think in our normal reading, we'll we'll look at it in just a moment, but in, in our normal reading of the passage, we think about humility as something to which God subjects himself, that God is humiliated in becoming human, and that his willingness to be humiliated is a witness to us of the extent of his love, that he loves us so much that he's willing to become human for us. But that's not at all what Paul says in Philippians 2. So so let's, let's turn and look at the humility that is coming to us, the king's humility. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then we have a hymn, what what many scholars are, are convinced is one of the first hymns of the church. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. He was in the form of God, but he did not regard equality with God as something to exploit. Another way of, of translating that is something to cling to but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So notice there are parallels here. In the form of God, he does not grasp or exploit divinity, but empties himself. And in the form of humanity, he humbles himself to death on a cross. So first, notice that the humiliation is never named. It's certainly not humiliation for him to become human. In the form of God, he empties himself and becomes human. He takes the form of a slave. But in human likeness, taking the human form, he humbles himself. But that's not the same as as being humiliated. And I think this shows the ways in which, one of the ways in which we've, we've so misread this account, that it's not a humiliation for God to become human. It's a revelation of God's humility for God to become human. In becoming human, God reveals his essence, his nature, his character. He does not dismiss his character or divorce himself from it. He reveals it in becoming human. So the the incarnation is a revelation of who God is, not a humiliation to God. And he takes not just human form, but the form of a slave. And I think this is crucially important. And I I think what Paul wants us to see 
is that he takes the form of the slave in order to assert to us and, and to reveal to us that the slave is human too. That, and again, in the ancient world, no one would have believed that slaves were human in, in the same way with the full equality of, of every other human, that the, the slave was in fact human in the same way that the king is human. No, no one could have countenanced that idea. And so for Jesus to become human and to become human in the form of a slave is, is astonishing already. But the, he does that not only to show that the slave is also human, but to show that the humility of God is best revealed in those we do not consider human in the same way that we are. That Jesus not only takes the form of humanity, but he takes the form of humanity in those we treat you inhumanely, in those that we have, we have disregarded. And so even if in theory we imagine that we believe all people are, are equally human, the truth is societally we don't treat everyone as equally human. And it's important to remember that God has identified with those we disregard, with what later in the Gospel of Matthew, those who are called the least of these, God has identified himself with them, not only to reveal to us that they are equally human, but also, I think, and more importantly, to reveal to us that his character is best reflected in them because they're not caught up in the lies that have trapped us, the lies that lead us to imagine that they're not human in the same way we are, or lead us to treat them as if they're not human in the same way that we are. So he, he becomes human. That's not a humiliation. That's a revelation. He becomes like a slave. He becomes a slave. He comes among us as one who serves. And therefore, the slave is positioned to reveal God in a way a king never could. So Jesus is our king. He comes to us as our king. But he comes to us as a king who is a slave. He comes to us as a king who serves us. And, of course, that we find incredibly unnerving. We know what to do with a God we serve. We don't know what to do with a God who serves us. And precisely at this point, the, the hymn says, and, and being in the human form, he humbled himself to death on the cross. So the humility is in submission to death. Not in becoming human, but in, and not even in becoming a slave, but in becoming subject to death. That's his humility. Death on a cross. Death that is humiliating, and yet he humbles himself to receive it. So that in the end, he is still not humiliated. I mean, they're attempting to humiliate him. Right? They strip him naked, they mock him, they spit on him. They're attempting to humiliate him. And I think many of his followers are humiliated, but he's not humiliated. He's humbled himself to this moment. And this is the revelation of God's nature, the revelation of God's character. This is who God is. So when the gospel asks us, who is this, who comes to us, we answer the one who is not humiliated in becoming human the one who is not humiliated in identifying with slaves, the one who comes to be a slave and therefore to be human as one who cares for others, and the one who is humble even in accepting death, the one who submits without in that way being humiliated or dehumanized 
And for that reason, the hymn says, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. And so with that in mind, I want to come back just for a moment to the gospel. I pointed out a moment ago that Jesus predicts that they will find the donkey and the foal, and that when they do, they're to take it, take them. But if, he says, if anyone asks you what you're doing, say, the Lord needs them. And I think this, this is a word for us right, right now. Of course, God needs nothing. I mean, that, that's who, who God is, essentially, is the source of all. God has no need. He doesn't need our love or our affection. He doesn't need our devotion or our faith or obedience. He doesn't need anything. He creates us out of sheer generosity and hospitality. He calls us to himself out of sheer generosity and hospitality. So it's a bit strange for Jesus to say, I need the donkey. But I think that what he's doing is revealing that God's character, again, is revealed in humanity, specifically in humanity that serves and humanity that others regard as of no consequence. And on Palm Sunday, I think it's worth taking time to to learn to look, to remind ourselves to look for God coming to us in need. Not because God essentially has need, but because he can't show who he is without drawing near to us in that kind of smallness, in that kind of quietness. He, again, does not come to us riding on a war horse. He comes to us bowed, but not with a bow. He comes to us as one who submits to being pierced, but not as one who takes up the spear. And he comes to us, even though he's needless, in our needs, and draws close to us in such a way that he wants us to live as if we we are those the one that we are the ones he needs that he that he needs us and of course we have to keep reminding ourselves that that isn't true and yet we also have to keep reminding ourselves that there is a truth about him revealed in that that we won't learn any other way god needs us god wants us to see him in our needs and in the needs of others. Palm Sunday, I think then, whatever else it teaches us, I think it teaches us not to hide from our needs and not to look away from the needs of others because God has drawn near to our neediness. God has drawn so near to our neediness that he's taken it as his own. He's made it so that we know he needs us without needing us. And that is to reveal that others do need us and that we can care for those others in their needs because we're carried along by God's own needlessness, but a humble needlessness, uh, a humble needlessness that is willing and unafraid to to draw near to those who are in need. Martin Luther is said to have died the, the last, his last words were said to have been, before he died, that we are all beggars. And 
he often, Luther, often made reference to this. In fact, in his sermons on Palm Sunday, he, he often referenced Jesus as the beggar king. And I, I think that that's a note we need to strike. That the God who is needless comes near to our needs. And that in this season of isolation, in this season of fear and uncertainty, we can look for our God to come to us in needs, our own needs and the needs of others. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you will send your spirit to us to open our eyes and open our ears to see and to hear Jesus as he comes to us, humbly, riding on a donkey, not a war horse, and comes to us in our needs and in the needs of others. God, you, you have acquainted yourself not only with our griefs and our sorrows, but, but with our very need. And we can find you there if we know how to look and if we know how to listen. So I pray that you will open us to that revelation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.